This is the NOAA Ocean Podcast. I'm Tori Kitch. In June 2013, a series of large waves rolled into New Jersey's Barnegat Inlet. According to local reports, the waves crashed into a jetty, they knocked a couple people into the water, there were injuries and property damage. And there was also a mystery. Where did the waves come from? There had been no obvious causes. NOAA scientists later determined the waves were part of what's known as a medio tsunami. That's a small weather-driven tsunami caused by changes in air pressure. The unexpected large waves in New Jersey raised many questions. How frequent were medio tsunamis? Where do they occur? What conditions cause them? Can NOAA predict these events to give people advance warning? To get at some answers, Greg Dusek, today's guest, led a multi-year NOAA study that was published in April 2019. What did Greg's team discover? Stay tuned. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Could you tell us a bit about yourself? I am the senior scientist and a physical oceanographer at the Center for Operational Oceanographic Products and Services, or co-ops. And so our office is the Tides and Currents Office of the National Ocean Service. And so one of the things we do is operate tide gauges across the U.S., water level gauges. We have over 200 of them operating um, in real time, providing data every six minutes. And so one of my jobs is to uh, help support that network and to take that data and do scientific analysis and to uh, help support our scientists and engineers as we hopefully you know, get really useful data and products out to the American public. Let's start with a definition of a medio tsunami. Yeah, so they're, I mean, they're just what they sound like, meteorologically driven tsunami waves. So in other words, instead of tsunamis driven by an earthquake or an underwater landslide, they're driven by the weather. And specifically, typically fast-moving storm systems, which tend to, to cause a wave on the ocean surface. Um, and that wave, in some cases, can reach several meters in height. Um, so the, there are similarities with seismic tsunamis or the more traditional tsunamis are that the, the waves are similar. In other words, they're not like the waves you see at the beach, which might be 10 seconds long. These tend to be anywhere from a couple minutes to two hours long. So they're relatively, you know, long duration rises and fall of water level. So the waves are similar to tsunami waves, seismic tsunami waves, but how do meteo tsunamis differ from what you call traditional tsunamis? When you think about, I think when a lot of people think about, hear the word tsunami, they immediately think to like the Japanese tsunami that occurred a number of years ago where, you know, it's just a devastating impact. And really those are, those seismic tsunamis are oceanic global events, right? They impact in some cases across the entire globe. With meteo tsunamis, there's just not that same amount of energy in the wave. And so often they might affect just one harbor or one estuary. So they can be very localized. Um, and they're also tend to not be as large because you don't have that same amount of energy in the ocean. So, so it's really those, those more rare and unique events which might occur again, you know, once a year or maybe less frequently that we're interested in in terms of a potential hazard. How much did we know about meteo tsunamis before you did your new study? We've known a little bit about meteo tsunamis over the past, I'd say, 20 years or so. Um, even as early as 1954, there was a documented event of a meteo tsunami in the Great Lakes. And it was reportedly on the order of 10 feet high and actually ended up causing seven deaths near Chicago. 
There's been some other recent examples on the east coast of the U.S., one in Daytona Beach in 1992. It was right around July 4th, and there was a, a wave that people said was about 10 feet high and apparently damaged over 100 vehicles and caused 75 or more injuries to people on the beach. And then, of course, there was the event in New Jersey that I talked about in the opening of the show. When that happened, Noah was really interested in saying, okay, well, we have these hazardous events. Can we provide people some sort of warning if these occur to try to prevent potential injuries or, or damage? So that's really kind of how we got into to studying them, trying to learn a little bit more about when to expect them, what conditions might lead to them, where might they occur. And what did you discover in your study? So we found on the order of about 25 meteo tsunamis per year occur along the U.S. East Coast, which, you know, I think going into this, I would have thought to see, you know, maybe a handful each year. So we were surprised to see that, you know, they occur quite frequently. I think the important caveat with that is the vast majority of those are small. So 90% of the events we found were under about a foot and a half. So things that probably aren't going to really cause much of a problem. When you look to potential hazardous events, those were, you know, probably say about two feet or more. Those might happen once a year or so. So events that might cause damage or injury are a little less frequent, but still, you know, about every year or so you could have one of those types of events. So are, are these events distributed along the U.S. East Coast, or do some regions see meteo tsunami events more often than others? Certain locations along the East Coast tend to see events more than others. In particular, along the Carolinas, tended to see the most events kind of on the order of seven, eight per year in some cases. And part of that is just the location of our instrumentation. So some of our gauges might be more protected and might not observe events as easily. On the North Carolina coast, most of our gauges are out on piers and things like that. And so they're more apt to see events that that occur in the open ocean. Uh, but then also a lot of what determines where we see these are, you know, how weather systems are propagating. And it just happens to be that North Carolina is exposed to summertime thunderstorms, which can drive events, wintertime storms like nor'easters, which can drive events, and then tropical storms. So all the different storm forcings, you know, readily occur along the Carolina coast, which is one of the reasons we think we see them there more often than, than other places. But we're mostly worried about those events that cause waves over a couple of feet, right? Yeah, that's right. So what we propose is that events over about two feet um, are where you start worrying about potential impacts. So that might be in the summertime, you know, that's people on and around the water could be impacted, uh, which we've seen in past events. And in say during wintertime or during a winter storm or during a tropical storm when people aren't really out at the beach, then the impact starts becoming, do we see additional flooding caused by these events? Do we see additional erosion caused by these events? So it's more of a contributing factor to you know, bad weather and large uh, ocean events that are already occurring. And are we at a point now where we can begin to forecast these events? We can't forecast them yet, we being NOAA. Right now, this is kind of baby steps for us. Right now, we're trying to just say, first, let's figure out when and where they're occurring and why. Then let's see if we can at least give people some advance warning. So if we detect a hazardous event, can we notify people quickly so that they can be prepared in case they need to take action? So we're working on doing that now with our tide gauges and then also our dart buoys which are the same buoys that are used to detect seismic tsunamis. So we're hoping to be able to combine those and give people a little bit of advance notice, maybe a couple hours when we detect an event. 
You were surprised to learn through the study how frequently these events occur, about 25 a year along the East Coast. Did anything else in the study surprise you? You know, in the past, with these events that have been documented in the media or have caused problems, those have always typically been thunderstorm events, either summertime storm systems or spring storm systems. We didn't know that there were going to be this many events that also occurred during nor'easters and winter storms or even during tropical systems. And so those findings were really surprising to me, mostly because that hadn't really been documented much before. Some of the largest meteor tsunamis we found occurred with winter storms. And so uh, so that was definitely a big surprise and got me thinking more about these additional impacts, that it's not just people standing around the water, people at the beach that you're worried about, but these compounding effects of strong storm events. So what's next for you with your research? There is a lot of research still to do. This work was really just the starting point. We just had to have a record of events to be able to dig into them more. And so there's a number of things we're looking at doing. I think partly is is to look at specific events and try to understand why those events are actually occurring. On the operational side, you know, we can use the algorithm we developed for this work to start working on detecting these events in real time and start giving people advanced warning. Greg, thanks so much for joining us on the No Ocean Podcast. We hope you learned something new in this interview with Greg Dusek, Senior Scientist and Physical Oceanographer with the Center for Operational Oceanographic Products and Services, the NOAA Tides and Currents Office. And that's all for this episode. If you like what you hear, head to iTunes and leave us a rating. It'll help more people find our show. Head to oceanservice.noaa.gov for our show notes. And, of course, you can subscribe to the podcast and your podcatcher of choice. Look for NOAA Ocean Podcast. <music>